Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Ashley from Washington, D.C., and you are listening to the award-winning Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast and thank you to Ashley there in Washington, D.C. for brilliantly introducing the show and for pointing out that we are indeed an award-winning tennis podcast, uh, David. We uh, we do like it when other people point it out because we it, we like it to be known, but we, we don't want to be the arseholes pointing it out. <laughs> So, <laughs> the, Ashley, that is uh, an ideal scenario for us to start the show. Hello, David. Yeah, hello. I couldn't have put it any better myself, Catherine. <laughs> so thank you very much, Ashley. Uh, yes, that that remains uh, the highlight of 2023 or one of them. And uh, yeah, bring it up anytime you like. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Matt, hello. How are you doing? Hello. Very well. Thank you. Yes, we... We should probably like just encourage people to do it and then we'll get it every week. Be great. <laughs> I mean, I think I have I have done just that, Matt. Mm. So I would expect have. to be uh, inundated with with mentions of our award winning status. David, you're still uh, you still have custody of the trophy. Is it in in safe hands? Yeah, it's it's in the living room. I was looking at it just this morning whilst uh, <laughs> just, getting ready to watch the, the Super Bowl. You know, I thought, you know, there's the Lombardi trophy that they're playing for. But, you know, we've already got ours. It's just in the, on the windowsill. They do that thing that um, the Australian Open does and, and certain other tennis tournaments, but I most associate it with the Australian Open um, at the Super Bowl uh, where they have the trophy sort of on display on the field mm. of play dangling there as a carrot in front of the competitors, which... Uh, at the Australian Open, I I find just I mean what a what a head spin that well, must be. Although that was that was low key a bad thing about the Australian Open this year, I think, in that they they covered the trophies up during the final with their with their Louis Vuitton box. Yes, yeah, so that they got a luggage got, sponsor. Got it sponsored in. So mm. there was a there was a box involved, but it but it was there on display some of the time. Was it just during the warm ups and then they I put think it away so, and they covered it up. Mm. Right. Nothing sacred, is it? Matt was Matt was really unhappy about the baggage. <laughs> I said, I think it's a sponsor opportunity. I, I don't care. <laughs> Why would you cover up Daphne? Anyway, yes, we are in a uh, a strange alternate universe where I'm the one that stayed up to watch the Super Bowl and um, Matt and David didn't. Um, what is life? What is going on? Uh, it was great. Imagine if somebody said that to you, like. 
three three years ago when you were <laughs> complaining about men bending over all the time. Yeah, I was questioning my. It was a. It was a. There was quite a lot of just. I mean, the the Super Bowl is is the most faffy of all the of all the NFL events, isn't it? It's it's. I mean, six hours. So that, yeah. that, that's how much recorded on my on my box this morning when I woke up. Um, but but I, I was reminiscing about how my childhood was full of a set piece event once a year that was even more full of faff than the Super Bowl, and that was the FA Cup final. Now, you two are probably too young to remember how it used to be when it was simulcast on both ITV and BBC One, the two terrestrial channels, and it was the day in the football calendar of the year. And it began at seven in the morning. The coverage started at seven in the morning at the hotels of the players of the two teams. And then they had a, a camera on the bus to, to, to sort of film the, 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 the two teams as they came, wending their way down the roads towards Wembley Stadium. And they had a meet the manager section. This was the only coverage Whoa. you got all year that wasn't <laughs> live, live stuff. And in fact, it was, it was pretty much the only live game for a while that you got as a, as a, as a kid because of various sort of channel strikes and and uh, and European bans and all the rest of the, these things. I mean, it was incredible as a day, as a set-piece day. But my word, you are talking about eight to, to nine hours of build-up. Were there two different versions of a, of a national anthem? <laughs> uh, America the Beautiful and the Star-Spangled Banner. That's... That's I mean, true. Yeah, we 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 came up short there. That's you know, good tunes, both of them. But I, I really, I, I got the idea after America the Beautiful, and yeah, and they only cried in the one last night. They right. didn't cry in the in the FA Cup final one, right. as I recall. Mind you, "Abide with Me," I suppose, was a, almost like a national anthem. People cried in that, absolutely. <sighs> delving into the depths of David Law's brain. We don't have time for this. There's so much tennis that's happened <laughs> this week. I was going to, I came into this thing, I've got to be disciplined today because uh, tennis being tennis, it's been happening here, there and everywhere this week. We've got, we, we got to truck on, folks. Uh, and I think we should start in Abu Dhabi, uh, the biggest event in terms of points and in terms of lineups, I think over the course of the last week, the WTA 500 there won by Elena Rabakina. She beat Dari Kazakina 6 1, 6 4 in the final. Kazakina having come through the most extraordinary uh, semi-final match against uh, Beatrice Sadajmaier in the previous round. Um, and perhaps that did leave her a little gassed for the final. Although, I'm not sure even on full gas, she would have much answer for Elena Rabakina in this kind of form because this, Matt, was Elena Rabakina as we saw in Brisbane. And it is, it, I know this already lives rent-free in your head, but this past week makes what happened in Melbourne to Elena Rabakina even more inexplicable. Mm. It does, really. And I sort of blame Adelaide. And, and I'm sorry to anyone listening in Adelaide, but I really don't think Elena Rabakina needed to play Adelaide before the Australian Open. That, I think, is where things went a bit wrong for her. Like, she had the perfect preparation in Brisbane then had that weird week in Adelaide when she got involved in a match that I think was a little, you know, it was long. I think you know, she felt like it was taking it out of her. And you've always got the Australian Open in the back of your mind. And then she didn't have her best game in, in, in two matches in Melbourne and, and ended up losing, as we know, in that extraordinary tiebreak to Blinkover. And yet 
here in Abu Dhabi, she didn't actually sort of start the week all that well. She was pretty ropey in her first match against Danielle Collins. I mean, a very, very tough first match. Obviously, Collins having beaten Naomi Osaka and looked to be in really good form. And she was beating Rabatkina pretty handily. And and it took a pretty remarkable turnaround from Rabatkina. But then after that point, she really did find her game. And a, a win over Sam Sonova in the, in the semi-final was big. That was... That was one of those weird head-to-heads. You know, she was 0-4 against Samsonova, had never beaten her, but finally managed uh, to get that win. And then in, in the final, honestly, that head-to-head to me was really surprising that that was 2-all because that to me just looks like a total nightmare for Kasekina, you know, in terms of the fact that Rebekina's got such a big serve and she can dominate Kasekina's relatively poor serve on return and just the huge power discrepancy between the two players you just feel like Rabatkina should be winning that match kind of every single time as long as she's on her game and I feel like Kasekina tried to overplay a little bit she tried to try to meet some of Rabatkina's power and that and that just wasn't that just wasn't the play because I mean I, I kind of don't think anyone can other than maybe Sabalenka um so yeah like a really really good week for Rebekina. She um she had to come through a very awkwardly timed rain delay as she was serving out the match. It, it sort of felt like everyone else would that would really freak them out, but she was like really calm and just sat down and, and just waited for it to subside so she could hit her big serves and, and close it out. Um but it does, as you say, it makes the Australian Open and it makes Adelaide even more curious. You know, it's been a it's been a really good start to the season. She's won two titles. She's looked incredibly dominant in, on those title runs. And yet, I don't know. Would you would you trade that for a better Australian Open? Like you might, I suppose, winning the Australian Open, you certainly would trade it. But it just kind of makes it tough to sort of figure out where Rebecca is because like her top level is absolutely awesome we know that but she's not bringing it at at the slams in in the last year since last year's australian open so yeah just a sort of fascinating case right now rebecca yeah i i watched that uh rebecca collins match and i i thought it perfectly summed up the benefits of either qualifying which actually collins has, has done this week in doha she's gone straight into qualifying and actually got through the draw there um and in this instance, playing a first round versus a player who's got a bye. And you saw Rebekina in this race against time to try to find her form to to stay in the match long enough in order to take over. And and it really looked like she was going to run out of time because Collins was bringing it. I mean, it was, it was a pretty comfortable first set. And then she's just so aggressive in the second set. You're hearing, you're hearing her every ball around the sort of two-all and three-all mark. And and Rebecca is just having to sort of dig her feet into the ground and try and withstand this force coming away and 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 stay with it. And eventually, I, I, I then left the match for a while and come back came back to find she'd just taken it over and won. And thereafter, she just felt like, well, she's the she's the uh, the class player in this field. And in the final. And it just wasn't a match because Kasekina, I, I share that view too, all that surprises me. Um, and I think, I, I guess it comes down to, is Rebekina on or is she not? Mm. Because Kasekina can can play lovely tennis, but she's not going to have an answer to, to that sort of brute power and ball striking if, if it's really hitting its mark. Um, 
And uh, just generally, I thought it was it was a really interesting week of tennis, and um, and I'm I'm pleased to see Rebecca rebound from that Australian Open, which, I, yeah, I think I think that Adelaide match can't be a complete accident. Can't be a, that that is not irrelevant to to what ended up happening because I remember watching her in that in all the matches she played at the Australian Open, she just never looked quite settled and right and it was kind of like the microcosm of the collins match and yet she never overcame the the issue she was having early on to get settled and i think there's probably some lessons in there for her um i still i still look at her and and, and think she's just about the complete player really when she's when she's on and uh i i hope she can build on it yeah Agreed. Absolutely agreed. She's she's one of my absolute favourite players to watch. Just the way she produces her power is is one of my favourite things in the sport. Um, just just wanted to touch quickly upon Danielle Collins that you mentioned there. Just because she just keeps catching my eye. She's not she's not winning these events. Yeah, she she, she ended up losing to Iga Swiatek at the Australian Open, and she ended up losing to. To Rabakina in uh, in Abu Dhabi, she's gone straight on, as you say, David, to uh, Doha. She's qualified. I-, I just feel like a liberated Danielle Collins, which is what we're seeing now, having made that decision that I presume took some time for her to come to. That this is going to be her last year on tour. I feel like she's got something quite big in her this year I don't know exactly Mm. what that'll look like and I know that's a real David Law-esque prediction Um, they always work Catherine she's exactly why haven't I been doing this all along she's it (laughs) it feels to me Federer definitely did take our breath away one more time he did exactly told you he was never not going to though was he was that was always going to come off David knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, I, look, I think it's most likely to come on hard courts. I'm not saying she's going to win a Grand Slam, but I, I, I think she's going to have do something quite big somewhere. Um, and she can play on clay, can't she? So I've just really enjoyed watching Daniel Collins so far in 2024, and it hasn't amounted to anything seismic yet. But I just, you know, she, she's 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 going to keep pushing, isn't she? I feel like she hasn't been able to do that for a while and her rankings really dropped but just clearly liberated by having finally made that decision that that this is going to be her last year um i don't know i think could lead to to good things um we should probably talk about kazakina a little bit she um she's always got stuff to say hasn't she she's such a refreshing often standalone voice uh, on the WTA tour in terms of standing up for stuff um, in an incredibly considered, intelligent way, I think. And the issue she's spoken up on this week is uh, scheduling, sort of the lack of coordination between events uh, and having reached the the finals rather in Abu Dhabi, still being scheduled to play the very next day in Doha. Um, she played a 5pm final Abu Dhabi on Sunday and then she was uh, scheduled to play her first round match in Doha on Monday, she said. Uh, and these quotes are via uh, Reem Abilil of um, of The National, who's, uh, who's out there covering these Middle East events. She said, it's terrible. I have a question. I don't know to who, WTA or to tournaments. Are you guys trying to make players die or to get injured often? 
Um, Kazakina, this also is, is via Reem. She said, Kazakina acknowledges that nothing can be done given Doha has to start on Sunday so it can fill its Saturday finish, but hopes the situation can be addressed moving forward, be it with a performance by or anything else. I mean, yeah, it, it just, I don't know. It, it, it seems counterintuitive to me. She's, she's absolutely got a point, hasn't she? Yeah, and I, I was going to say this. This does feel like the perfect time for those performance buys, which I know were a big issue last year. Partly because Elena Rubakina sort of trashed them on on Instagram with her what was it circus emoji um, when she didn't get a, you know a buy even though she was one of the top seeds and the, and those buys went to the players who had done well the previous week. And but I do think there is. There is something in that as an idea, especially when you've got one event starting on the same day that the other event is finishing. And, and, and there's the only way that Kasakina can play her first round is is to play it today. Otherwise, she would have to miss the tournament. I mean, Pliskova as well has come all the way over from Europe and is having to play first round today in um, in Doha as well. So it, it, it really is a problem. And it, and, and like so many of tennis's issues, it's, it's, it comes back to the calendar and it, it being too cluttered and there sort of being too much tennis and these big events, these big WTA 1000 events squeezed into the month of February. It, it just doesn't quite sit right, I suppose, right now. Mm, I know a lot of people will say, and I saw a lot in the uh, the comments and replies, which obviously... Uh, one should never read. Anyway, there I was falling down the rabbit hole. Of, oh, well, you know, you don't have to play the event then. No, no, nobody's making you play all these events. Well, okay, sure. But doesn't the WTA and the tournaments themselves want to make it possible for players to play as many of their events uh, whilst giving themselves the best chance of staying fit and healthy? Like everyone's interests are aligned here. Um, so it just seems completely shooting shooting oneself in the foot to not make that as uh, as possible as it can be. She's playing some lovely tennis, isn't she, Kazakina? I mean, what what an asset she is to the tour when she's playing like this. Well, yeah, because she's so different. And, and, uh, and actually, I think the point is you want them to be able to play as many events as possible and win them. You know, you don't want to be penalised for for getting to the final. For goodness' sake, <laughs> that that that's a problem. Um, but but just generally, ever since she came on the scene, you know, you're talking what five five six years ago now. She's been one of my favourite players to just watch, just as a sort of guilty pleasure of watching a tennis player in rallies. I mean, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about uh, clay court tennis because there was there were clay court events, and it, watching her on any surface reminds me of the things I love about watching every player on clay because there's time to to sit and enjoy just the the stroke construction and the rally kind of constructing and and uh, and yeah she's she's a joy to watch yeah and 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 I think she watching her matches this week as as you said that brilliant one against Hadash Meyer like I do think she's trying to work on that serve like it really didn't come off in the final it was it was a bit of a disaster, nine double faults, and it, it just really cost her. But I do see like some effort to try and beef that serve up a little bit or just place it a little bit better, just because that really does hold her back. Because as as David said, in the rallies, 
you know, the way she can construct points and manipulate the ball. She is just a joy to watch. And she's got a little bit of a problem in finals at the moment. She's obviously lost lost a couple this year, Adelaide and now Abu Dhabi. I think she's lost her last three. But she said that, you know, she's used frustration before to have good results. She she talks about her French Open semi-final run coming off the back of a disappointing loss and that sort of motivating her even more. And look, this wasn't a disappointing loss, I don't think, because it was a great week overall and it's been a great season overall. Um, but, you know, just trying to turn some of these brilliant runs into actual trophies and, and titles feels like the next step for her. But uh, yeah, she's... She's a sort of shining light, really, on in sort of all the ways. Yeah, and I feel like the the last player from uh, Abu Dhabi that we should probably touch upon is uh, Ons Jabeur. Scored a a really impressive win, I thought, over Emma Khan, who played played incredibly well, as well as I personally have seen her play for some time. But then ended up losing out to Beatrice Adajmaier in in quite a distressing a distressing match. I mean, she was clearly very, very visibly upset through um, certainly the latter portion of that match to Now, this is a swing. These events are very, very important ones, Jabbar. I know there is now a um, an event in Tunisia, but besides and that event being in Tunisia is a direct result of uh, Ons success. But besides that, these are, you know, as close to, to home events as, as Jabir will get. She gets a tremendous amount of, uh, of, uh, support from the from obviously the Arabic community there but expats as well um, you know these are a, a big deal for her and I think there was a lot of speculation before the post-match quotes came out about about what's going on with her we know we know there's just generally a lot going on with uh, with Ons Jabeur at the moment don't we she's she's been very candid in her in her documentary about wanting to have a child and kind of putting pressure on herself to achieve certain tennis results and achieve fulfill ambitions before she sort of permits herself to go and have that child she um has talked about uh, the constant weight on her mind and in her life the uh, the conflict in in Gaza is uh, at the moment and that of course is is very understandable and something we must bear in mind. But she's she's also managing a an ongoing knee injury, and it sounds like that was sort of the most pressing thing on her mind during this match. She said, "Of course, first of all, congratulations to Beatrice. She played a great game. I wasn't feeling a hundred percent. Unfortunately, my knee still bothers me a bit." These quotes are from uh, the National. Today wasn't to be my day. I was trying to fight and get through this match. Um, we we go way back with the knee. Some tournaments it's good, some tournaments it's bad. I've been feeling it for the past week, but today was the worst day. Usually during practice I try to manage, but during matches it's a bit tougher. And then she was asked about uh, which of the upcoming events, including, of course, Doha and, and Dubai, um, over the next couple of weeks she'll be playing. And she said... Uh, well, all of them, if my knee holds up, which really doesn't sound good to me. David, what do you think? No, um, and and the, the the strange thing is watching her, her, has it's been the same in Australia. She'll play one match where everything looks like it's flowing and it's just so enjoyable to watch. I mean, she hit 
well over 30 winners against Raducanu in a, in a brilliant match. Both players just for the first nine games of that match were, were just striking winner after winner. And it was, and she was showing off, frankly, with her drop shots and all the rest of it. And if you remember, I, I said the same about a win early on in the Australian Open, and then she played Mira Andreva, and she was absolutely terrible. And this, and and frankly, she was not competitive. This maybe was more to do with the injury that that she got beaten pretty pretty severely by Hadajmaier. But it is that doesn't feel like there's this settled feel around her at all at the moment in terms of the what she's trying to do what she's achieving when she's out there you don't know what you're going to get from her I don't think she knows what she's going to be able to get from her racket or her mind or her body and and if if the knee is I, it, that sounds like more of a problem than I realized uh that, that, that she's been having and it yeah I, I feel for her really because she seems a bit lost just at the moment I just I, I shudder a bit at the sound of anybody managing an injury like mm. that. It just sounds it sounds like denial. It sounds like um, sort of it, it is inevitable that you're going to have to take some time off. Um, you're just trying to kind of keep the wolves at bay for as for as long as possible, and it just I don't know. It fills me with a a bit of a sense of impending doom, I suppose. And I totally understand that. The denial. We talk a lot about the hamster wheel of this sport and um, the the pressures to remain on it. Uh, but yeah, I I really don't like the sound of that for Jabir. But we wish her well. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned Pliskova, David. Uh, she won the Transylvania Open. She beat Anna Bogdan six four six three in the final. Just when you've sort of put Pliskova out of your mind and thought, I don't need to worry about what to do with her in predictions. Here she is popping her head above the parapet again and saying, I'm still here. You do still need to worry about me in your in your mm. predictions. I mean, I know, look, it's it, it wasn't the field in, in Cluj that it, it was in Abu Dhabi, say, but she played some darn good tennis from what I saw, Matt. She really did. Didn't drop a set the entire tournament and look maybe maybe a really sensible move actually you know there's a lot of players we're talking about in terms of trying to get back to where they were in the sport and make some comebacks and you know she was out there playing a 250 unseeded Pliskova you know I mean given her ranking that sort of is the sort of level that that she needed to be playing but it was just a bit odd to see you know unseeded Carolina Pliskova in a tournament where Arantxa Roos is the top seed and yet you know, she's come through it and played so well. And, you know, so it's her first title since before the COVID lockdowns. I mean, that is, that was mad to me when I realised that because she had that, you know, good run at Wimbledon and Montreal during sort of COVID times, but I hadn't realised that she hadn't won a title in so long. And, you know, this is someone who used to win a lot of titles. I think she's up to 17 now. Um, you know, this is the sort of thing she used to do, sort of just come out of nowhere and, and win a title. Um, I must say, I, I, as, as brilliant as Pliskova was, I obviously have a soft spot for formerly on the backhand list, Anna Bogdan. And she, she to me, was was the star of this week, wearing this incredibly sort of fire leopard print oh, top. I've already Googled where I can get that. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it so much. Hitting the most stunning backhands, coming through a three-hour epic on home soil and, and, and 
getting to the final. It was sort of just great WTAing. It was it was it was everything we love about that tour from from Anna Bogdan this week. I, I had a great time watching her, and yeah, it, you're right though. Pliskova sort of being able to to win tournaments again. Suddenly, it's like oh, is what do we do with Pliskova again? Because like that that top level, that big serve, those big flat ground strokes will be a threat to kind of whoever she plays. And even before this week, she pushed Rabatkin at the Australian Open. She played that great match with Osaka in Brisbane. Like there were little signs, I suppose, but she's she's put it together really consistently. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see if she can carry it on in, in any more meaningful way. Yeah, and I did, that, that point you make about what a smart decision it was for Pliskova to play that event rather than going to, to Abu Dhabi. I, I do just wonder... Um, you know, whether some of these players on the co- comeback trail could do with looking at events like the Transylvania Open and other similar sized events where, you know, all due respect to the draws, you're you're more likely to just get a couple of wins under your belt and get on a roll and get that win- winning feeling again and get the, the muscle memory of all the things that you can't replicate in practice. Um you know, Osaka, I thought, played well for periods against Danielle Collins, but the the sharpness in the big moments just wasn't there. And I absolutely understand the pull of the bigger events. The When you've won Grand Slam titles, you know, you, you're craving, especially when you've had some time away for it, I'm sure you're craving the big stage and the big crowds and the big moments. And absolutely, I... I, I totally understand all of that but I, I think it could be short short-term pain for for long-term long-term gain and and Raducanu as well watching her at the moment she's actually fighting incredibly well against Angelina Kalinina in soon to be out of tennis news when we started this recording she was six love one love love 40 down um and uh, she's not anymore so well done but I still think I don't know who am I to tell these these great champions, uh, what they need to be doing. But I do think that was a very smart decision from Pliskova that I wonder if some of those players might look at. Yeah, because I think Osaka now is playing four straight 1,000 events, isn't she? She's she's scheduled to play the two in the Middle East and then Indian Wells and Miami, which on the one hand, she might end up getting better draws because the top seeds at those events will have, will have buys. But the depth of the field is such that you can still draw Caroline Garcia in the first round as she has done this week, like she did at the Australian Open as well. Like it just feels like she needs to get her teeth into a tournament in the way that Pliskova did in, in Cluj. And as you said, get some of that winning feeling back, I suppose, but you know, it's possible that, that she will be able to do it at one of these 1000 events. Yeah. There's just too many good players aren't there I mean what's a good draw anymore especially especially at a a 1000 event there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right, moving on to the the many, many men's uh, events that have been happening this week in Marseille. Uh, who who needs Yannick Sinner? Marseille is what I would say to you, because he had uh, a, t- a tremendous amount of French success. He had a Frenchman in the final against good old Grigor Dimitrov. He had a Frenchman winning the title six four six three for Hugo Humbert over a, uh, a slightly out of gas Grigor Dimitrov, having come through his semi final against Karen Hashinov uh, quite late the uh, the night before. But Hugo Humbert is he? Am I right that he's five and five in finals now? Mm. Yeah, I, I did not know that until this final. Um, that that had passed me by, and that that is a heck of a result, which is simultaneously impressive and also makes me wonder why on earth is he not doing better generally? Why has he got a ranking for the first time inside the world's top twenty? Um, and everybody talks about what an incredible talent he is. I don't really understand why he has these long periods where you just don't think about him at all because he's not really doing anything because he's clearly clearly capable but but by everyone david you mean my brother on our whatsapp group who's always talking about ugo and bear yeah he does i mean look he absolutely pulls for him and and loves him and rates him but he's not the only one because if you go especially if you talk to people in in france they really rate the guy and the feeling is that he should be doing more with that talent and listen there's a let's go full stereotype there's a lot of french players over the years that people have said that about here here is a left-hander who who seems to have just the most lovely ball strike i mean i think i think his serve can be attacked and all those sort of things um but just as a ball striker he's he's really uh, capable and what is he 25 now um Maybe this, listen, some people are late developers and, and come into their own a bit later on. But I, I, I am surprised that somebody who's got a record like that in finals, which that's that seems quite unusual to me to be to be that 
able when when the nerves should be at their highest in in a final in Marseille, and he just plays lovely, reliable tennis. And it also extends to his record on the Challenger Tour. You know, when he was playing that tour more regularly than the ATP Tour, he won eight of his nine finals there as well. Like he, he he's a man for the for the big tight moments and like. This felt like a bigger tournament than it is, I think, with a Frenchman in the final in Marseille. Like, they really, they show up to their events, the French crowd. It is really incredible every time. And there was this sort of cauldron of an atmosphere in there. And, and he and he didn't, you know, he wasn't phased by that at all. He really delivered. And there was a lovely moment of everyone spontaneously bursting into the Marseillais afterwards. It was just, it was giving you all the, all the feels. And he was brilliant this week after a bad opening set against uh, Hugo Gaston he then took everyone else kind of to the cleaners he'd never beaten Hercatch before beat him and he'd never beaten Dimitrov before and okay Dimitrov was I think pretty knackered after that epic semi-final against Hachinov but he beat him easily and you mentioned his serve David and I've always thought that that serve was perhaps a little bit of a weakness but he was Un, sort of unbreakable with it this week you know that that lefty serve he was swinging it into Dimitrov's backhand he was hitting a lot of aces as well and it's, it's just generally it, it looked like that part of his game had got a lot better and he was asked he was asked afterwards in the interview sort of what's changed this year because you seem to be playing better than ever and he, and he mentioned his serve that he thinks that's got stronger and and he mentioned solid from the baseline and strong mentally as well and you know these were all the things that he was doing and I think there's always been a lot of excitement and maybe high expectations of him because he's he's got good records against all the top players. He's beaten Medvedev a lot. He's beaten Rublev, Sitsipas, Zverev. He's got wins over all these players. It's just being able to do it consistently has has sort of not been something that that he's quite found yet. And um, if if he's starting to get the consistency to go with his top level, then then he's an exciting prospect as well because he's yeah he's 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 a bit different he's 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 skillful he's got quite compact ground strokes he's obviously left-handed takes the ball early hits it flat all stuff that i think suits indoor conditions we should probably say but like there's a real player in there and if 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 he can push towards the top 10 i think that would be um that would be a fun storyline this season also suits grass really well Mm. he's a nifty Mm. grass court player and there aren't there aren't many of those around. Um, yeah, I think this could... I, I share your feeling, David, of, well, if he's so good, where's he been? Um, but I do think this could be it. Career high ranking. Um, I, I, I agree with Matt. I've always just sort of lazily gone, oh, well, the serve is the reason um, that that he's not higher than he is. But I, look, it, it's indoors, particularly on the serve. You have to take indoors with a slight pinch of salt or at least an asterisk. But that serve looks beefed up to me. And I wonder if he, he's got Jeremy Shardy working with him, hasn't he? I, th- I think he's still got um, Thierry Essione, hasn't he, um, who's been working with for a while. But Jeremy Shardy, since retiring at the end of last year, has joined the team and look not necessarily known for his own huge serve, but it doesn't always work like that, does it? Um, yeah, it's obviously a different perspective. Whatever it is, is working. I... I I, I'm I'm making a big Daniel Collins and uh, Ugo and Bear prediction. Big but vague. There you go. 
Wasn't expecting to do that on this podcast, but there it is. Uh, also in men's tennis this week. Oh, actually, should we mention the doubles in Marseille? Matt's put it mm. in the agenda, so Matt would definitely like to mention the doubles in Marseille. What mm. happened, Matt? <laughs> well, the best player in the world might actually be one of the best doubles players in the world. Fresh from their run at the Australian Open, Zhang Zhizhen and Thomas Mahach won the uh, won the title. I love that, they're, that they've carried on playing. I, I Me think that's, too. I think that's really great. Um, I think there might come a time where, um, you know, they probably might need to drop the doubles if they have massive um, singles ambitions. But right now, I think they're both at career-high singles rankings and they're winning a lot of doubles matches together, like things are good in, in, in their world. And um, I'm here for it. They make a really fun pairing. Yeah, I I agree. It it must just make life on tour that much more enjoyable for both of them. I mean, Jung Jijen is, is, he's one of those guys that you just sort of want to be in his orbit. He's got, his aura is good vibes. Um, and obviously Thomas Mahatch is the best player in the world. So... What a team. Um, moving on to Dallas, an ATP 250 event there, won by Tommy Paul. Great final, 7-6, 5-7-6-3 over Marcus Giron, the, uh, the, the bare-armed Marcus Giron. Um, David, I, I watched some highlights of this final. I kept on looking up and thinking it was sort of 2004 era Andy Roddick with the, the, the blue, blue and white kit uh and the trucker style baseball cap it was so much like the i think it was reebok that andy roddick was yes was playing with at the time that's right yeah visually i I know where you're coming from there and actually this this felt like a sort of blue collar type of event really and it had a really good turnout of people i mean it was a bit of an aircraft hangar type of arena you know it's it's not visually the most attractive looking place in the world when you when you look at it looking around this this stadium but they make do and they make a a good a good vibe i think in there this tournament and um I mean, it really does feel like the American closed tournament in a way because the, all the players seem to be American. <laughs> um, but they make the most of it. And Andy Roddick used to play a hell of a lot of those events in the mid-2000s and just clean up, you know. And, uh, I mean, Tommy Paul gave Ben Shelton a pretty, pretty big hiding in the semifinals, scoreline-wise. Did, I didn't did watch that worry you, it, David, but... from a Shelton perspective? Uh, I mean, I, I I didn't see all of it to to be able to judge properly. I I I, I think that it's I think Tommy Paul is a really good player who who, as I've talked about before, is unremarkable to look at. As a, a, a you know, when I watch him play, my eye is not drawn to him. Yet when he plays his best stuff, he's bloody difficult to beat. I'd, I'd I'd have to go back and watch it to to, to get a view of, of of Shelton, but I mean I I think it's it's an impressive run from Paul. He's kind of done what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to win this tournament uh, in many ways, or at least get to the final. Garone, brilliant performance from him. I think he beat Francis Tiafoe along the way, and uh, and yeah, he's having some 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 good results this year. Um, but uh, yeah, Paul Paul's had a bit of a blip, hasn't he? Because he came into that Australian Open and he has lost a couple of matches to Shelton of late. So it's, it's, a, it's a good one for him. Yeah, I, I watched a lot of 
Dallas this week. It seemed to be on at a good time for me. And Shelton did have some tape on his abs through through most of the week. He actually ripped it off in the match against Paul and said that it was no longer bothering him. But it it just he never felt it never felt like the Shelton show. Like he he never quite had it. His serve was awesome in in, in the first two matches. He didn't get broken. Um but he, he really had to fight and come through impressively against Jordan Thompson. He didn't have anywhere near his best stuff, but it was a good gutsy win. But then that, that grit and resilience was just missing against Tommy Paul. And, and he made a lot of sort of unforced errors that, you know, he, he hadn't made the day before. I just, I felt like there was just maybe a lot going on for him. He just didn't have that many matches in him that week, perhaps. Um, Tommy Paul, I was impressed because Giron hit this incredible purple patch at the end of that second set in the final and was just winners everywhere. And it reminded me of the purple patch that Ketsmanovic hit against Paul at the Australian Open to take it to a decider. And then Paul didn't show up in the final set of that match at the Australian Open at all. He was he was sort of borderline disgraceful, really, you know, just barely won points. And I, I had that in my mind. This was the, That was the last time I'd seen Paul in a deciding set, you know, and suddenly here he is in a final, can he bring it? And he just got off to such a good start in that final set. And, and his tennis all week was excellent. Um, yeah. Like only his second ever title. And, and you feel like with his game, given the fact he's been to Australian open semi-final, he needs to start sort of winning, winning more titles, I suppose. And, and, and this is a very, very good start. Um, but yeah, like, you mentioned Giron beating Tiafo. Sort of, we talked earlier about how the vibes are kind of tough with Ons Jabur at the moment. It's very different reasons, I think. But Francis Tiafo, my goodness, like it is a real slump that he's in. I think he's, I think he's only won two matches in a row once since the U.S. Open, and that was largely as a result of Dan Evans getting injured against him. Like it has been bad. Like his his form is bad. He's kind of, he looks like he's really struggling on court. And uh, Giron absolutely, you know, was by far and away the better player in that match. And yeah, tough times for Tiafo right now. Yeah. Um, and Tommy Paul, I think, could do with having a, a, a big result at one of one of Indian Wells or, or Miami, I think, couldn't he? Um, certainly carrying through this, this form that we saw this week into into a bigger event because he's got, He's got bigger ambitions. Um, finally, on the ATP Tour this week, we had a 250 event in Cordoba, uh, Argentina, on clay. Uh, and we had two qualifiers in the final. David uh, got very excited about this on Twitter. So I'm going to come to you about it, David. Luciano <laughs> Darderi, who quite honestly I hadn't heard of before this week, uh, beat Facundo Bagnis 6-1-6-4 in the final. Why were you so excited, David? Well, it was the it was the emotion being shown. I mean, it is rare to get two qualifiers in a final like this. And Daderi is he'd never been inside the world's top hundred before this week. This this tournament gets him into seventy six in the world. And if you saw his semi final, you would understand. You wouldn't need to be told those things because he 
he wins his his match and he was absolutely brilliant against Sebastian Baez. I wasn't best pleased about it because I'd said Baez would win the tournament in the newsletter. So that's my points up in smoke. But my word, was he handily beaten by a guy who just knocked him off the court, who just came up with the shots when he's been pushed back out of the blue. And then when he wins, he is flat on his back like Rafael Nadal winning the French Open. He is looking up to the crowd and his his partner, his girlfriend or his wife, is in tears and then he rushes over it's the big full group hug with about six members of of his team and family and friends um and then then i decided to watch the facundo bagnis highlights as well and he beats federico Correa in a in a real tug of war match and he's hanging over the net crumpled in emotion as well and it was just the most wonderful scene of of an ATP 250 where you just you're just reminded that there's a lot of players out there where this is this is the peak of their career okay maybe not Bagness it'll end up being but it's 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 a big deal for him and and it was just beautiful to watch the the emotion on show and sadly in the final I don't think Fikunda Bagness was fully fit um he was certainly very much second best I mean he, he lost the first five games in a row Dardari was just on it Congrats to him. Good on him. What a wonderful week. And and he won seven matches, that, the equivalent of a Grand Slam to win that title. And, you know, he's never going to forget that, is he? I'd hope not. No. <laughs> You've had a good life if you end up forgetting that in your sort of laundry list of, uh, of good moments. Um, and it was so lovely watching the clay, Catherine, as well. That's the other thing. It just reminded me how much I love clay court tennis. Watching well, these well, guys you've just got a lot, duking You've it got out. a lot to come, David. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> wait. Yeah, I'm glad your appetite is whetted. Um, I said that was the last men's event to, to cover from last week. But, of course, there was the ultimate tennis showdown. Uh, where was mm. where was the ultimate tennis in Oslo? Of course, how could I forget Oslo? Uh, won by Andrei Rublev, uh, but I I mention this mostly because of a bizarre disqualification event involving Gael Monfils. I think, ironically, it might be time for Gael Monfils to stop playing exhibition type events because it's it's not going brilliantly, is it? Um, could you give us a potted summary of this? Hoo-ha, Matt? <laughs> well, I mean, the whole thing was a bit of a hoo-ha because, like, as you said, it was in Oslo and I think Kasper Ruud went out early. I think team and team and Runa got the shits and had to had to pull out. And in amongst all that, you had Gaumont Fies getting, um, getting disqualified. Like, I just saw a notification on, I think it was Friday evening, from UTS, just a very, um, you know, sort of matter of fact, following the disqualification of La Monf. And I read it and I was like, oh, wait, what? Disqualified from UTS? How is that How is that even possible? I, I didn't think they had a code of conduct. Probably if you're talking, talking about a, um, a disqualification, you should probably just say Gail Morfis and not the, uh, <laughs> not the nickname. But hmm. anyway... With your relaxed code of conduct, yeah, like I, I, I thought that was the whole point of um, of UTS. And anyway, there was then this sort of vacuum of information, and you know, every, everyone was speculating about what on earth it it might be. Um, there was then a statement from Monfils himself talking about this sort of incident that they'd been in in the locker room where someone had got hurt, but 
you know, there was no malice. Uh, it sounded like it was, well, everyone was saying it was sort of an unintentional, a bit of an accident, but because someone got hurt, Monfils had to be disqualified. And then UTS finished their statement with, see you next time, Monfils. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like maybe maybe that wouldn't be the best idea yeah just weird like why didn't they just say exactly what happened that's what i think it just there was just this speculation this sort of streisand effect i suppose that everyone sort of ended up probably coming up with something way more dramatic than what it actually was um, yeah it was weird All it was very weird, weird. Um, so who R- runa got the shits this week runa and rude <laughs> Who had the shits? No, no, Runa and team. Runa and team had the shits. Yeah, Rude uh, just lost quite a... Just well, lost. I don't know. He, he, he didn't win. I think he was you know, meant to win in Oslo. The the segue I'm aiming for here is tough week for Holger Runa, having the shits in uh, <laughs> in Oslo uh, and also uh, being jilted by Boris Becker. Sounds like it was Becker's decision. This is the second uh, resignation from the Holger Runa coaching team in two weeks, I think. Severin Luti last week and now Boris Becker again says it's uh, scheduling. Uh, unable to give uh, the amount of time on the road as is needed by Holger Runa. Um, I don't know any insider specifics to suggest that that's not true or that it's not the whole story, but I could certainly see a world in which that's not necessarily the whole story. Uh, It's got a very sort of Tory MP resigning to spend more time with their family uh, energy about it, hasn't it? it just doesn't just doesn't sound like great great times in camp runa to me it's kind of regardless of of what the the, the full picture is no i mean and it's worth rem- remembering that there are countries boris becker isn't allowed to travel to at the moment with having been imprisoned last year um but, but, but that would have been known that that was a known quantity at the time of their well, collaboration absolutely. Uh, absolutely it just makes you question the thinking in the first place but then there's so much about the whole garuna setup that uh, that just feels a bit all over the place at the moment you know it, it, go go through the, the the last 6 months or so you know he stopped working with patrick moratoglu and then immediately started working with him the very next week again and then stopped working with him again and comes into this year you know last week he got injured and had to withdraw from a tournament to retire from a, a, a match mid-match, and then but he straight off to Oslo to go and play in this thing, you know. And and then he he's he signs up with Severin Luthi, the longtime coach of of Roger Federer, and with Boris Becker has a team photo together in Monte Carlo. Six weeks later, that entire team is dismantled. Certainly those two effective super coaches are in and then out within six weeks. Um, He has just signed up, I saw, with IMG. So no doubt Max Eisenberg will will be maybe looking at things in a slightly different way. I certainly heard that they're, they're planning to run his media commitments from now on which i believe had been run by his mother before that um and 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 he's straight off now to, to rotterdam he's playing there second seed now 
who am I to say what it, what are the right choices for a tennis player to make in their development? But my mind goes back to Stefanos Tsitsipas, of all people, a year and a bit ago at the Australian Open, saying that he thinks that Runa is almost too obsessed with tennis and needs to just chill out a bit. And Tsitsipas is a guy I've, I've always thought plays too often. And Runa's just playing all the time. And... And he's injured a lot of the time during those, you know, you talked about managing injuries for Ernst Dupert. I think there's a real danger that Runa either gives himself a real injury that is a problem for the future or just keeps on doing this kind of tournament to tournament existence where you you don't really get any kind of momentum and, and you're not building your career though i mean you've got to think about the way yannick sinner in the last six months has turned things in his favor the, the runa should have that level of talent and uh i don't know i saw i sort of think that that eisenbud might might be able to um help just construct a, a bit more professionalism around him you know just with his vast experience who knows but but uh yeah my, there are alarm bells for me Catherine, mm. I have to say, around Runa, but just certainly recent months. Yeah, I, I'm I, I'm sad that um, I fear the uh, the Eisenbud the IMG collaboration will lead to a, a, a slightly less entertaining Holger Runa Twitter account <laughs> um, because that's that's been a an occasional gift over the uh, the, the past few months and years. Um, uh, last bit of coaching news from last week, probably the the biggest shock well definitely the biggest shock the biggest shock in a while really uh jessica pagula and david witt have split pagula um is also out of the whole middle east swing with a neck injury last saw her play that that incredibly um limp defeat to clara burrell in the third round of the australian open um and uh this this doesn't sound great to me david wick gave some or gave a quote didn't he where he uh he made it clear that this was a shock and a surprise to him and like it may very well end up being the right thing we're not privy, privy to what's you know going on in the background but those that's not the sort of quote you give out when things have ended well and because of nice happy happy reasons i don't i don't think um and her it, it you know her greatest successes um have come since she teamed up with david witt in uh 2019 i think it was wasn't it so doesn't sound brilliant for for team pagula just now no and and actually i i simultaneously i'm immensely surprised by it because they just seem such a good fit a very solid partnership um continuity and 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 as you say all the success they've had and then at the same time i think well what have i been questioning from jessica Begula for the last two years it's can she turn that consistency into major breakthroughs maybe she's just thinking well i haven't made that major breakthrough so maybe I need to just roll the dice here and and try something completely different and see if that will be the key. Um, I don't I don't know. I'm only speculating, but that's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, David, I had I had exactly the same thought that you know maybe this is a sort of jolt, a sort of trying something different. Um, I think it's just the sort of 
in amongst everything else that's happening with Jessica Bagula at the moment, it, it, it doesn't quite feel quite so positive, I suppose. I, I suppose the fact that he said he was surprised, as you said, suggests that there was a, maybe a slight breakdown in in communication there. And, and, and just the fact that she hadn't been playing well, she'd had to pull out of events. It's, it's just, there's just a lot of, there's just a lot going on right now for Jessica Pagula, I suppose. And she's been, she's been kind of immune to all that. She's just consistently played all the time and kept winning and been really, really consistent. And, and th- this is now a sort of slightly turbulent period, I suppose. So the fact that this coaching change comes within that turbulent period, I suppose, is what, is what makes me think, Ooh, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned by that, I suppose. But if it is a move to just say, look, you've taken me as far as you can take me. We've been, we've been brilliant together. I need to try something different. Then there could be, you know, there could be a positive side to it as well. I suppose we just, we just have to see when she um, gets back on the tour in, in a month or so. Yeah. We, we wish her well in all respects. Uh, In terms of this week, we have the WTA 1000 event just getting underway in Doha. Emma Adekanu has just lost to Angelina Kalinina. Six love, seven, six. She had a set point in the uh, second set tie break, but Kalinina turned that around. Uh, Pretty much everybody in Doha, except for Irina Sabalenka and of course Jessica Bagula Sabalenka, uh, the big omission wanting some more time after Australia, very understandably so. Uh, the ATP is in Rotterdam for a 500 event. This is the return of Yannick Sinner to the match court. He'll play his first match in the Australian Open and he'll play Botik van der Zanschulp in a, uh, a mirror of his uh, first round at the Australian Open. Uh, we've also got Herkatch Lehechka round one, Runa Sefulin, Duminor Korda, Prismich. Remember him? Dino Prismich against David Goffin. Uh, I think it's safe to call that a clash of the generations. And Emil Savori against uh, Ugo Umber. Oh, and Dimitrov against Sonigo. Those are all first round matches in Rotterdam. The ATP is also in Buenos Aires for a 250 event. Alcaraz playing there. Also Cameron Norrie, Nicholas Jarry, Artifis, Stamarinka. Hey. Uh, and the ATP are also in Delray Beach for a 250 uh, where it's, uh, once again, lots of Americans and Adrian Manorino. Uh, with an added sprinkle of uh, Dan Evans, very similar field to um, to Dallas, except substitute a Tommy Paul for a Taylor Fritz, basically, and uh, and you're there. You've got yourself a Delray Beach. Adrian Manorino got to the semi-finals in Dallas last week, playing 52 minutes of tennis. Like <laughs> <laughs> there was a bye, He's... a walkover, and a retirement, and he was in the semis. <laughs> He's weird in all the ways, isn't he? And um, shout out to Blair in the on-court interview who got him a bottle of tequila after after one of yes. his wins. Very well done, Blair Henley. That's uh, that's that gag is going to keep on giving, mm. isn't it? <laughs> uh, we have a mascot for this episode, and it is Spotty, owned by Caleb. I cannot tell you how much I love this picture of Spotty. It's one of my all-time favourite mascot photos uh it honestly looks like an album cover or a movie poster or just i I can't believe it's real um spotty is a small uh four kilos so that's about billy jean size so can confirm that small a mutt 
from the Humane Rescue Alliance in Washington, D.C. They're approximately 10 years old uh, in February 2024. And it's seven years since they adopted one another. Um, Spotty was estimated to be three years old at the time of adoption, enjoys traveling, the outdoors, hiking and backpacking, uh, hanging out at the tennis courts, being in bed, brackets, cuddling and napping, and being part of the DC queer and trans Asian community. Oh, I love Spotty so much. Um, This photo is going on our Instagram and just... Go and check it out, quite frankly. Uh, Yoda sort of energy, except prettier than Yoda, I would say. <laughs> but with, with the sort of the wisdom and ears of Yoda, that's what I'm getting at with the Yoda thing. Um, yeah. I, I mean, thought the same. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really into Spotty. This photo is amazing. <laughs> um, so that's Spotty. Hello and thank you to uh, Spotty and to Caleb. Um, David also has his mascot, Francis. Matt has Haida and Soma. And Billie Jean, of course, has Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. And um, there's there's a name and a mascot missing from that list. Um, and that is Darwin, of course. My mascot for this year, a, a previous mascot with varying degrees of success to both Matt and... David and I'm I'm very sorry to to report that Darwin is no longer with us or rather no longer with me. I'm so sorry that um that I didn't do him prouder and I'm so sad for Carrie um that that she uh is going through the loss of a dog because um it's it's tremendously sad and upsetting. And we are going to pay a full tribute to Darwin in our newsletter this week. Um, But in short, Darwin, thank you for being such a loyal supporter of the tennis podcast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't do better for you. Um, And thank you. Thank you, Carrie, for, uh, for bringing Darwin into our lives. And I'm so sorry for for what you must be going through just now it's um it's desperately sad and i am thinking of you a lot uh and we will be paying tribute to darwin in this week's newsletter um which leaves me just to say of course that we have our top folks and executive producers greg chris jamie and jeff and no shout outs this week folks except one one big shout out and thank you to darwin and to carry David, you gave Darwin some glory, at least. <laughs> I loved having uh, Darwin as as my mascot as well. I really did, and um, yeah, I'm thinking of you as well, Carrie. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, V. Carrie. Uh, that is your lot for this week's tennis podcast. We'll be, of course, be back with another in a week's time with. Plenty to talk about because tennis is the ultimate gift that keeps on giving. Thank you for listening. We'll speak to you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.